Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Welcome to the Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Sponsored by the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, I'm Georgine Rice. This week, as the House of Representatives struggle to choose a new speaker, we'll look at the nation's crisis at the southern border. El Paso is becoming a shanty town right now. And the administration's unwillingness to do anything about it. 380,000 illegal immigrants. The U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement has admitted they don't even have records for them. And we'll look at the toxic impact of social media on young people. 60% of teen girls persistently feel sad and lonely. And Mm. these girls are on like five social media platforms. So you think from the face of it, they're more connected with people than ever before. And yet they don't feel connected with anybody. We've got all this and more. I'm Georgine Rice, and I'm glad to be with you once again, hoping for God's best in these early days of the new year. I'm coming to you from Portland and my home station of KPDQ. You can hear my own program live each weekday afternoon on 93.9 FM here in Portland and online via our website at kpdq.com and also through the TuneIn radio app. Thanks for joining us. In the nation's capital this week, House Republicans struggle to convert their majority in the U.S. House of Representatives into a simple majority vote for a Speaker of the House. For those who are concerned about the state of the nation, the delay was more than just a minor setback. The nation is facing some serious crises, including one on our southern border. Kevin McCullough turned to Bryce Eddy of the Liberty Station podcast. They spoke on AM570, The Mission, in New York City. I kept hearing about Title 42 going away and what that was specifically going to do to a little town called El Paso, Texas. And I'm curious, you've spent time on the border. How bad is what's going on in El Paso? And uh, what does the rest of the nation need to understand about why it's so significant? Yeah, well, you know, El Paso is significant because it's becoming a shanty town right now. And to actually see what's going on the ground there would disturb people. And I think it would wake them up. And I'm glad some of that's coming out right now. But I don't think our focus should be on Title 42 because Title 42 only stops about 29% of what's happening on our border. It only affects a small percentage in the grand scheme of things because if you know more about the border, it's It's nations from all over the world that are coming in there, not just those that are affected by Title 42. So we we need to get that a little bit out of our heads right now. Talk to us about what the impact of that broad sweeping influx of people from all of these countries is really uh, creating. Yeah, well, it's a it's a massive attack against our sovereignty. And I always want to remind people that our borders are essentially open and they're open to everyone because we are losing the people that are coming through and they're not you know, they're not entering into a system of accountability or anything like that right now. They're not showing up for hearings. There's none of that going on. But didn't we just have an admission from the administration that with all those desk tickets to appear, uh, 
they have literally tracking on none of them, and it's like close to a half million people in just this year alone? Oh, correct. And and they're making it sound underwhelming. It is overwhelming. And of course, they're they're lying. You can't get much truth out of them anyway. And I mean, you know, I've been taken to calling them on my show, the public serpents, because that's really, you know, who we have, you know, running our government. And that includes a lot on both sides. But but the truth is, we had 21 different dialects coming through the border checkpoints. Um, I mean, or I should say the holes in the border wall. Um freely walking through and that's people from the republic of georgia people from russia from the ukraine from cuba from all of these different countries including middle eastern countries and and they disappear into the interior of the united states we have seen a resurgence in what diseases and some of them i thought we had pretty much stamped out yeah, I, I mean, it, it runs the entire gamut, uh, you know, including, I mean, we're, we're having a, you know, resurgence of, of uh, you know, bubonic plague and, you know, things like that that are coming in in these shanty towns. I mean, you know, we've got it, you know, here in Los Angeles, and it's a direct result of, you know, the, the crisis that's being created. So, you know, again, I mean, we're, we're there's places that look like Calcutta right now here in the U.S. I mean, it should blow people's minds and wake them up. I, sh- I certainly hope so, and I certainly think that much of the new Congress was elected on this, and I know that there are some really good guys that did get elected. We helped uh, get Corey Mills from Florida yeah. and a handful of others that are very pro-American sovereignty, and, and there's a greater number, I think, of American veterans that got elected in this Congress than there have been in recent uh, rounds as well. What do you anticipate from not the entirety of the caucus, but from people that are taking this seriously? What have they told you is going to be their priority and how are they going to approach that knowing that the Senate and the White House are in opposite hands? So, look, we we do have some real bright spots that have come in. Um, I am not optimistic about our current leadership, even in the Republican Party. And we've seen that. We've seen them fail just as often, but these new folks now are going to be highlighting this issue. And with the changeover in all of the, you know, various committees and, you know, everything else, I think we're going to have some real scrutiny on this, but our entire immigration policy needs to change. And again, that's why, I mean, Title 42 is a temporary stopgap measure, but we need real immigration reform But the truth is, we really just need to be enforcing our own laws, which we are not doing at all. It it seems as though the presidential race is already underway. There's going to be more and more discussion about this. From where you sit, Bryce, and you sit in a border state, and you sit in one of the worst border states because your governor and your state leadership has completely abandoned the uh, effort here. What do you want to see the presidential candidates doing about this even before the election is underway? Yeah, well, I, I think this is a, a winning campaign issue. Uh, it certainly that was it, in 2016. I mean, it, it, it was. I mean, Trump was no dummy, which is why they um, had to work so hard to label him a dummy. Um, you know, that's that's their tactic on all these things. But he correctly identified the things that were eating us from within. And border policy is one of those things. Um, I hope to see whether it's him or a Ron DeSantis, a real focus on that again, because it, it wins across the board. Um, we've been hijacked by the, the crazy far left. Again, you know, these people are animated by the globalists that would like to see, 
you know, um, uh, centralized authority on a global scale and open borders, all of that stuff, because that ultimately makes us all very weak. Um, And so they're um, if if they campaign on that and we have strong governors making a, a, a really good response. I mean, Carrie Lake, the reason that the entire state apparatus of Arizona was against her was because she would have solved this issue. Um, I was on her border policy team, and her focus was going to be using private uh, and public resources, and she was going to shut down Arizona's border, which would have forced uh, Texas to do the same because it would have concentrated it there. California, you know, would have been just continuing to be California. And New Mexico. You would have seen. Yeah, yeah, but you would have seen some real change. And we do need somebody who's going to put all in efforts on it. There's something fundamentally wrong when we're dependent on various state governors to get serious enough about the border to do something. The federal government ought to be serious about defending the integrity of our nation's border. But serious is not a word that comes to mind as we look at what's transpired these last two years. Here's Bob Burney, my colleague from WRFD, the word in Columbus. ICE, that's Border Patrol, ICE admits... It has, quote, no records for hundreds of thousands of illegal immigrants released with electronic monitors. Here's the story. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, admitted to Syracuse University's Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse. Now, this is Syracuse University. This isn't some kooky right-wing organization. This is Syracuse University, uh, used the Freedom of Information Act and demanded that ICE, U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement, under the Biden administration, give details of the ATD program, Alternatives to Detention. Yeah, the ATD program. Now, what is the ATD program? Well, it was started several years ago, back, I believe it was back in 2004. And they decided, well, we can't lock up everybody that comes across the border. So for certain individuals, we will put an electronic device on them, an ankle bracelet. So we can know where they are, what they're doing. We can keep track of them. And if they don't report for the hearings, if they don't report to the courts and so forth, We know exactly where they are. We can go pick them up and we can, you know, blah, 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 blah. Get this. Back to the story. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement admitted to Syracuse University's Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse that it has, and I'm now quoting, no records of 377,980 illegal immigrants enrolled in its ATD Alternatives to Detention Program. We can round that up. 380,000 illegal immigrants that were given some kind of electronic tracking device. The U.S. Immigration Customs Enforcement has admitted they have no clue. They don't even have records for them. Not only do they not know where they are, they don't know who they are. ICE, I'm quoting now, ICE informed TRAC, that's this program at Syracuse University. ICE informed TRAC 
that it had, quote, no records of the 377,980 individuals monitored by the agency's ATD Alternatives to Detention program used to electronically track illegal immigrants. 380,000 illegal immigrants that are supposed to be tracked by the U.S. government so we know who they are, where they are, and so forth. They have no record. What happened to them? Well, those are the questions that have begun to be asked. How could you lose 380,000, not in the individuals, the records? Not only have the individuals been lost, the records have been lost. So not only do they not know where these people are, they don't know who they are. 380,000 illegal immigrants. And that's the tip of the proverbial iceberg. Coming up, the dangers of social media. 60% of teen girls persistently feel sad and lonely. And Mm. these girls are on like five social media platforms. So you'd think from the face of it, they're more connected with people than ever before. And yet they don't feel connected with anybody. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. Something dramatic changed in 2012. That was the year Facebook acquired Instagram for $1 billion. And young people flocked to the visually driven social media site. And of course, there's TikTok, Snapchat, YouTube, WhatsApp, and various other apps I probably am unaware of. Well, the point is this. In the last 10 years, we've been transformed. More specifically, we've witnessed young people being transformed. Sarah Ekoff zilstra is an editor for the Gospel Coalition. She just published a piece titled, Why I Left Social Media and Won't Go Back. She was a guest on The Common Good with host Brian Fromm and guest co-host Pastor Steve Cobble from AM 1160, Hope for Your Life in Chicago. Why are you leaving social media? What made you get to that decision? So let's start even a little bit farther back why I got on social media. I got on a long time ago, um, like 15 years ago when when Facebook first opened up to the world. And when I got on, I was a stay-at-home mom of toddlers, and then I became a homeschooling mom. And it was just a wonderful way for me to connect with other people. Now, that was back in the day. And social media has changed tremendously. And probably so have I over the years. As your kids get older, it starts feeling weirder when you post about them, or it's you feel like you should be asking them for permission or like, yeah. they kind of come into their own. It's a different thing. And so I, I quit posting about my kids. And then it started to feel kind of self promotional. As I write more for the Gospel Coalition and publish more, I thought I was just putting up stuff that I wrote. And that kind of seemed like a weird thing to do to my mm-hmm. friends. So I just started using social media less and less, but I never could get off um, because I thought, well, what if something happens? Even though I didn't mm-hmm. like going there, I didn't 
feel good when I got off. I felt like I was wasting my time or I felt jealous of somebody or I felt frustrated by somebody else's incompetence. (laughs) Um, So eventually this past year in 2022, I did a podcast that was called Scrolling Alone. And it was about Gen Z girls and how they use social media. And I could see how tangled up they were in it and how much it took from them and how little it gave back. And that allowed me to finally see that it was doing the same thing to me. Mm. Um, and that was the kick that I needed. We uh, research shows, my own research, my own limited research shows, we almost all need a kick if we're going to actually leave social media. And that was my kick for me mm. to see, oh boy, this isn't giving me what I think it is. And it's taking so much more than I realize. Mm. Sarah, I'm curious, you talked about how social media has changed since you first got on. In what ways do you think it is kind of changed and changed for the worse? Yeah. So when I first got on, it was kind of at the beginning of the news feed Um, that came pretty early, but that's something that changed social media a lot. Instead of going to your friends' pages, Facebook was serving that up to you. And you'll probably notice if you ever look at your news feed, there's more and more advertisements in it and it's more and more driven by an algorithm. So way back in the day when I was just friends with, I don't know, 50 or 100 people or whoever were my actual friends, I would just literally see chronologically what they were putting up. But now I don't see what they're putting up. I would just be seeing what the algorithm is giving me. Like, maybe you want to look at this or here's an ad or here's somebody else's post that's getting a lot of engagement, keeps popping up over and over and over again. And so it didn't feel like I was connecting with my friends. It felt more, Facebook felt more and more like there was a medium in between us that was Mm. choosing what we were looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Have you missed it at all? What's been the result in your life? Are you, are you finding greater peace and less anxiety or are you like, Oh, I wish I was able to hop on Facebook or Instagram right now. (laughs) Good question. I want, that's one thing that I worried the most about before, because when you delete your accounts, you you know, if you come back, you have to find all those people again. So it's Mm. it's like, Oh, this is going to be a lot of work if I decide I don't like it and have to come back on. That's one thing that kind of held me back. I have not missed it for one hot second. I've been off now for since March. And the reason isn't that I'm not missing things because I am. I am missing when people put up their Christmas pictures. But what I have received back in terms of a greater attention span, much more energy, the disappearance of kind of that low level anxiety that I was, I didn't even realize I was feeling till it was gone. The ability to focus on my Bible more, the ability to read longer articles and books, the ability to be interested in my kids and my family, the ability to think longer and more complex thoughts, even about like how my household should run Hmm. or about, you know, something we're tackling at work or just the ability to engage in those things. I just feel like it has given me a boost or it's like when somebody, you know, you're driving along, but the brakes are on or something, you know, and like all of a sudden you lift those off and you're like, Oh, I can go so much faster and easier when the brakes are off. Mm -hmm. Sarah, one of the things that I talk often with my wife about, and it's hard that my wife, I'm like, she's beautiful. She's 30 years old. She's got my little guy. She's, she bounced back from pregnancy. (laughs) Um, Like nobody's business. Um, you know, I've, I've fluctuated more in weight than, than <laughs> uh, but like just the, the spirit of comparison just seems to be like, and, and maybe I, I'm guessing that it's, it's for men as well, but for women, it seems like that, that spirit of comparison is just like nonstop, whether it be somebody bouncing back from pregnancy or how somebody's life is going, who's doing what. Can you speak to that, the way social media creates that spirit of comparison? 
Absolutely. I would say that comparison not only drags you down, it makes you feel lonely Hmm. um, because it's taking a friendship and turning it into something that's far more shallow and more competitive than if I was sitting in a room with your wife and we had a real life relationship, we'd see so much more of each other just as a holistic person. Hmm. You can trace in the statistics, the sharp increase in teen girls, persistent sadness and loneliness. And it just traces right with the smartphone and social media. There is data behind it that literally when you are on, when a woman is on social media and you're right, it affects girls. You can see in the data as well, the boys are going up a little, but the girl increase is just sharp and straight up. 60% of teen girls persistently feel sad and lonely. And Mm. these girls are on like five social media platforms. So you'd think from the face of it, they're more connected with people than ever before. And yet they don't feel connected with anybody. They Mm. feel like they're alone by themselves. You're right. They're comparing themselves with other people. And that goes, it's bad in two respects. One, you can feel like, wow, I'm look, I look way better than she does or (laughs) way more together than she does. Or you can feel like I'm a mess. I'm a failure. I'll never have anything that looks as good as she does. Mm -hmm. So either way, it's not good for you um, because that comparison isn't coming with the, and I, and I want to be clear, like God made us to live in relationship, to look at other people, to kind of see, Oh, are you doing it like this and get good ideas from people? But when that's built inside a real life community, girls around your table, girls out to coffee together, and you sort of get the whole perspective, there's just such a depth to that, that takes yeah. out the sting of the comparison and, and empowers and, wraps in love and encourages along in a way that just looking at someone else's living room that they shove the toys out of. So it looks really clean and perfect. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, that's just, that's just you comparing your real life to someone else's fake life. That's right. And mm-hmm. even though we know we're doing it, it still affects us emotionally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Should the people listening get off their social media accounts? You know, what would you tell them? Is it you need to get off or is it, hey, you? I understand why you stay, but here's some guardrails for you. What would you say to people who are like, I don't know what I think about this? Um, I, I believe that God is sovereign over everything. So I 100% believe he does good work on social media and that Christians can connect there and there are things that you can learn and there is beautiful things about it. But when I look at the numbers, I would just say that I don't know there would be a rare woman who would be able to be on there in a healthy way. Mm. That feels that feels extreme. But I would say this. I think you should feel called into social media. It shouldn't be the default. And right now it's everyone's default. But I think it's such a dangerous space that probably the default should be to be off. And then if you feel a burden or like, a, you know, I really need to be on for these reasons, or I feel like God is calling me on for these reasons, then you should first educate yourself really well um, and then go on. Coming up. I've noticed that many men spend far more time taking care of their lawn than they do working on their marriage. Oh, yes. And I think that is a fundamental problem. Marriage and priorities. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. It's a look at today's most compelling stories and provides responses from key conservatives in media and politics. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. 
Welcome back to The Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Georgine Rice. Marriage. If you're married, I hope you cherish your spouse and the gift of marriage. I hope it's something you deeply care about and nurture. Doug Bursch, a writer and former pastor, has noticed that many men are uber-disciplined in caring for their lawns, but how about their wives? Bursch is a guest of John Hall and Kathy Emmons on Word 101.5 FM in Pittsburgh. What is it about you and lawn care? Are you yourself obsessed by lawn care? No. You know, I gave you this title because one of my irritants uh, as a pastor, I pastored 24 years, yeah. uh, is that I've seen that men grow in their ability to take care of their lawns. Mm-hmm. They get they get better at it. They, In fact, uh, lots of practice. They find out, you know, get rid of moles and yep. And spend hours, and they have pretty amazing lawns. And I've noticed that many men spend far more time taking care of their lawn and learning how to make a better lawn than they do working on their marriage. Oh, oh, yes. And I think that is a fundamental problem. Yes. And so, hey, before you turn away, I feel like someone's going to turn the radio off. Do not turn this off. Wait, this guy. You're a man listening. I'm feeling guilty already. Yeah, but I just... Uh, sometimes we buy lies and it's even the lie of the man being the old, like, Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. My wife's the smart one and the emotionally intelligent one. And I just survive and do what she tells me to do. And I'm going to say that's not good enough. And uh, we give energy to a lot of things, uh, to our lawns, to work. I know for you, John, you know, you probably had different general managers, different things. You've learned how to do what is necessary to keep your job. And I get an amen, right? Amen. Thank you. (laughs) But with marriage, you know, we don't even treat it, like that, or we just believe we can't do that. So I thought about lawn care. Maybe I could relate to men who could relate to lawn care. If you want to improve at your marriage, uh, you have to assess what's going on and to know it, not to be oblivious to it. Mm-hmm. And so I would encourage, and many people are not going to do this. What the advice I'm giving right now, someone is not going to do, but I wish you would. And this is what I wish you'd do. Sit down with your spouse and have a conversation about what is. Say, you know, I want to be a better husband, or maybe even if you know things are bad, to come in with, I know I'm not doing this right, I know I need to do it better, and I genuinely want to know what you like about what I do, what you don't, like everything on the table. This is like assessing the damage of the lawn. How much moss do we have out there? Mm -hmm. How many weeds do we... Just to be open to say, I'm not going to defend myself, I'm not going to get in a fight. If I do get in a fight, you have to remind me that I told you I wasn't going to get into a fight, that my goal is just to assess what is. And that might be really difficult, but that reality exists whether you have that meeting or not. Your wife is still thinking that and feeling that, so it would be better to know it. Toughen up, listen, and figure out the reality of what's going on in your marriage. Even if you can't fix a thing, even if it's like, oh, I didn't know things were that bad. They are that bad whether or not you know about it. It would be better to know about it. So that's the first step. That's good. Okay. Now, look, now, I, I love all this, Doug, but the stumbling block, I believe, for a lot of people is that you genuinely want to know and want to make an adjustment. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. If you don't want to know, then you're in trouble. Yeah. And I can't make somebody, it's like you can't make someone want to repent. But I'm telling you, if you're in a relationship, there's things to repent of. There's things to say. By the way, here's a sign you're not a healthy person. If you can't remember the last time you apologized to your spouse, Mm -hmm. that's a problem. Because uh, if you live with someone long enough, you're going to mess up at least once a day, maybe (laughs) 20 times a day, right? Yep. Uh, And again, if you're like, well, that's just not me. Well, it needs to become who you are because this is the most important relationship entrusted to your care. But when you think of something you actually need to put some energy towards, 
if you're married, this is the primary area. So yeah, I, whether someone says, well, I don't want to ask those questions. I don't care. Ask them, sit down. And then the other one is, okay, that's the big question, but you need to daily assess. And one of the best ways to grow is not to read a book on growth and not to have somebody tell you the top 10 things you do to make a healthy marriage. Just weekly start asking God questions and your wife questions. What do you want? What would you like? What Just any question, like even if you're in a moment, you're sitting in the car, ask God, what should I do now? And you say, well, God doesn't speak to me that way. We'll do this. Just say, uh, God, should I say something encouraging to my wife? Yes or no? Yes or no? And you know what you're going to find? You're going to find yes rise up in you. Should, yeah. should I go in and talk with my spouse? Yes or no? It's like you're probably going to find a yes rise up in you. Start asking those questions. If you're not asking, like you would do with your lawn or anything else, you'd look around and say, oh, that's working well. That isn't working well. Mm-hmm. You'd say, that I don't know how to fix that. I know there's a problem. You go find a solution. Uh, if you don't do this, you're not going to grow. Now, I don't know if this is your question, John, but even people forget to ask the questions. So I'm going to hit at this even harder. I told you most of the guys listening probably aren't going to do this, but here's the next thing. Put it on a calendar that you ask the question. So at the end of the week, something like, did I ask my wife questions this week? Did I ask God questions this week about my marriage? And put it as a timer. So for the hopeless people out there, the people who are hurting, I'm not trying to belittle you, but you can do this. You can take a next step. Now, if your wife doesn't go with you on this, at least you know you tried your best. And that's what you always want to know. Like, I gave my best to this. Even if someone didn't partner with me, I can confidently say before the Lord and before myself in front of the mirror that I tried my hardest to bring us together in a healthy marriage. Coming up, it truly is keep score of what the other person is giving because that leads to gratitude. And then you want to bless as opposed to dredging it up out of willpower. Like, okay, got to figure out what to do to bless my spouse. More on marriage when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Stay with us. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Welcome back to The Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. Good marriages take time. Good marriages take work. And the gift of love between a man and a woman in marriage requires a number of disciplines. Shanti Feldhahn is a prolific writer on marriage. Most recently, she's been doing research on marriages that work. She was a guest of Jim Daly and John Fuller, our friends at Focus on the Family. I want to start today... Shanti, by reminding married couples that you're in a spiritual battle. I think we often lose sight of how our flesh is at war with us. And not only that, the enemy uh, wants to also destroy our Christian marriages because it serves his purposes to discredit God's sacrificial love for us and to destroy our witness before the world. Uh, Our marriage is the closest relationship we have on this earth, and it mirrors that self-sacrificing love that Christ has for us. Um, And in fact, you mentioned earlier about Paul saying, whatever is true, whatever is right, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, think on these good things to equip you to fight the spiritual battle for your marriage, right? Yeah. Let me give you an example. 
happy couple I was interviewing, I was asking them, and I do this with everybody, take me through your last conflict, the last time that somebody hurt your feelings and that there was a potential for it going downhill. And I was talking to this one guy who he had, was getting ready for a really important business trip and had asked his wife many times, are you going to pick up my shirts at the dry cleaners? I'm leaving really early in the morning. I can do it. No, no, honey. No, I got it. I'll get them. Okay, you sure? Because I can go by. No, no, sweetheart. I'll go get them. So he arrives home at 9 o'clock at night. The dry cleaners are closed and the shirts aren't there. Mm. And he has to leave <laughs> at 6 in the morning. And now he isn't, you know, what am I going to do? This big business meeting. Jean, I did not talk to her about that. <laughs> <laughs> really, this was not a real example. And so I say, okay, what happens next? Because this is where it can all go downhill. I can't believe you, blah, 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 blah. And the enemy is going, you're right. She doesn't care. She doesn't appreciate and so I said, take me, what happens next? Well, I'm pounding the cabinet, you know, <laughs> putting the cabinets together that I've been making. And th okay, what are you thinking? I'm thinking I asked her three times and I was willing to do it. And, and she said she would. And, but you know, that's not really fair because pound, 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 because, you know, the baby was sick all day and she's been home with these cranky kids who've been sick and she had to take the baby to the doctor. And then the, I know the line at the, to get the prescription was, took a long time and she had to go to the grocery store to get dinner and, and, you know, and she always feeds the family and she's always cooks me dinner and she's such a great mom. And why am I being such a jerk? Hmm. You know, and what's just happened there is that he has refused to allow that little voice of the enemy. She doesn't appreciate you. You, you work so hard and she doesn't care. He's refused to allow that. And instead, he's talking himself out of being mad mm. by focusing on what is good, not what's bad, and what's lovely instead of what's maybe not so perfect right now, and what he can appreciate instead of what's driving him crazy legitimately. And that is an example of the kind of things that we can learn from the happy couples because what they have found really is the secret sauce to a happy marriage. Okay, now I've got to hit another trait that you identified, though, because it seems, again, counterintuitive where you talk about this idea that keeping score is a good thing to do. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that It sounds totally opposite, <laughs> but what did you find in that regard? Keeping score is good? Yeah, we are always told not to keep score, not to keep score. And instead, these happy couples absolutely did keep score, believe I mean, it or like not. like in a gentle they, way? Yeah. But they kept score totally differently. Oh, okay. They kept score of what the other person was giving. And so it was really interesting watching the difference instead of, where, of course, it's terrible to keep score of what they're not giving. And the of wrongs. course, it's going to be awful to keep score of the wrongs and what they're getting and I'm not getting. You know, I mean, that's going to always derail your Describe what, what the healthy way of keeping score so, looks like. An example. All right. So the same husband that I was just talking about, he was describing how... Um, with his wife, she had gone through a season where their kids were actually sick for a whole week and in and out of the doctors and cranky kids, and she's a stay-at-home mom. And so he's automatically, he's going, wow, I'm really aware of the fact that she's had this really hard week and she's been with these sick kids and, oh my goodness, she's giving so much to them and she's got to be so tired. So, you know, come Saturday when I'm home from work, honey, why don't you just... Give me the kids. I'll take the cranky kids and the sick, you know, and wiping their noses and all that. And you go out with your girlfriends and you just get out for the day because he is so aware of what she's been giving that there's this gratitude. And so there's this outpouring of what can I do to give back? And it's not like, you know, I'm just going to be such a wonderful husband 
and I'm going to allow her to go out because I'm just that nice of a man. And instead, it's like, no, I am seriously grateful because I notice what she's giving. And so I want to give back. And then that day, she goes out with her girlfriends and she's like, wow, that was so sweet of him. He's such a nice guy. What can I do to give back and to him? And all her girlfriends are saying and that, too. And all her girlfriends are saying <laughs> that, too. And what can I do to give back to him? Because she's grateful. And it becomes this positive cycle. This one right here is another one of the common ways that the couples who started out very unhappy ended up very happy in their marriage. But are you really saying um, keep score of how you can bless your spouse? Actually, believe it or not, it's not just that. It truly is keep score of what the other person is giving because that leads to gratitude. And then you want to bless as opposed to drudging it up out of willpower like, okay, got to figure out what to do to bless my spouse because it really is out of a gratitude and a love. I think it's important probably to recognize, Shanti, that this is a, a matter of time here. This is not an instant fix. Jim, I remember one time Dina went off on a women's conference uh, for the weekend, and I was so happy about being the hero and managing the fort with so many kids, and we made it through the weekend. And I knew she was going to walk in the door and just throw her arms around me and thank me. And she walked in the door and said, I am sick. Good night. <laughs> so well, I mean, so there, I, there I am standing with all this expectation, and and I mean, if I would have stopped there in keeping score of a good thing, I mean, it, it could have stopped me dead in my tracks. Her response wasn't what I wanted to see. So there is an element of time here, right? Oh, always. I mean, listen, we are married to imperfect people, right? I mean, and and you know what, we. Are imperfect oh, people, and they the are married to, and well, they are I, I married very, to us. Too. I was very proud in my <laughs> handling of that, so I was. You're proud of that. your imperfection. Yeah. Well, you know, we're all we've all been in those shoes. I think we could all come up with examples for that, and this is all part of that grace and that generosity. This is actually, to me, one of the reasons why. You know, Jim, you talked about you needed to rely on God for this kind of awareness of what the other person is giving and really, truly how to look at the positive instead of the negative. I mean, because that doesn't come naturally. One of the other things that I found in the research, there was a very high number of these highly happy couples that said, I can't do it on my own, that I have to rely on God. Coming up, 53% of people who say that God is at the center of their marriage are not just happy, they're very happy. More with Shanti Feldhahn and Focus on the Family when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Georgine Rice. Let's be honest. There are lots of reasons one might become cynical or even skeptical about marriage. From various studies on divorce rates to the cultural idea that marriage itself is somehow outdated. But don't you believe it? Marriage is a good, good gift. Let's return for a few more minutes with Shanti Feldhahn on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly and John Fuller. As a researcher, I was pretty careful to try to go beyond the bounds of the church and interview people in coffee shops and airports. And, you know, I always feel bad for the person sitting next to me on the airplane for two hours. You know, it's like, <laughs> You're that person? <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> I get great data, though. But, but here's what really stunned me. I was on purpose trying to find people who might not believe in God. Uh-huh. But they kept bringing him up. It was funny. Like, I'd talk to them and say, you know, and they would, if they had shown that they were the highly happy couple, you know, I'd say, okay, so help me understand. What are some of the secrets? You know, why are you so happy? And they would often 
look at each other and then look at me and say, it's because of Jesus Christ. Huh. And I could tell they were saying, ooh, it's a chance to witness to a social researcher. <laughs> you right. know? And which was so encouraging to me. Let me ask you this, though, and that is encouraging, but to those who didn't um, point to a relationship yeah. with Christ. Which did happen, of course. Did you find the biblical principles still in play? Yes, very that's much that's what so. I would think would be And that absolutely true. was, I mean, and every now and then I'd jot down a note on my you know, little notebook and I'd say, huh, you know, it's actually one. Because they'd be talking about being kind, for example, speaking kind kindly to one another. And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, the Bible says be kind to one another. You know, I I try to like get it across. You know, you're living by biblical principles. You're not realizing it. <laughs> no, and that to me is encouraging. That should be self-evident then mm-hmm. when you're witnessing to somebody to be able to bring these things up. Well, here's one of the things that was really, as I started looking into the numbers, we have this... Um, this belief that really isn't true in our culture, that most couples are just kind of hanging on and that they're really not enjoying their marriages. And right. We the, have bought into that. We've kind of bought into even that. Christians. Belief. And it's not true at all. And, you know, all the studies that have been done have found that 80 percent of marriages on average, 80 percent of marriages are happy. And it's not perfect, certainly, but enjoying being married generally. 80 percent. 80 percent. Folks hear that? 80 percent. And the thing, one of the things that to me is even more encouraging is when I started studying what the numbers really are in the church, because we've kind of bought into this idea that 50%. That, you know, 50, yeah, 50% divorce rate and it's the same in the church. And none of that is, and that is so not true. It's based on some big misunderstandings of the Barna data. And that in the church, instead, what percentage of these couples who say that they're looking to God as the center of their marriage, what percentage aren't just happy? What percent are very happy? Mm-hmm. Where both the husband and the wife are just loving this gift that God has given them. 53% of people who say that God is at the center of their marriage are not just happy, they're very happy. Thank you for joining us for the Christian Outlook. If you enjoyed the program, be sure to mention it to a friend and send them to christianoutlook.com. Encourage them to sign up for our podcast. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pushan, Mike Cook, and James Blend, I'm Georgine Rice. Join us again next time for the Christian Outlook. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.